Hey, everybody. My name is Jen. If you don't know me, some of you know me very well. Others of you, you're like, who's this girl? She just showed back up a couple weeks ago. Um, so I have to tell you where I've been. Um, I guess it started last August. Um, it was August through May. I was an intern at Hope Moravian Church in Hope. Uh, which is an interesting country congregation full of lots of different kinds of people. Captains of industry <laughs> it, from Columbus and farmers and folks that are lower income and lots and lots of people that have been Moravians since they were born. Um, and for those of you who don't know what Mor a Moravian is, they're not Mormons. <laughs> they're actually the first... Protestant uh, denomination before Lutherans even existed, Moravians existed, though they don't get as much press as the Lutherans because, you know, Martin Luther and the theses and all that good stuff. But um, Jan Hus was the founder of the Moravian Church, and it was kind of revived in the 1700s. And there was a lot of missionary work that was done by the Moravians. Uh, Hope Indiana was actually founded as a Moravian mission. Um, in, I think, 1830. And so that church that I served in was 183 years old as of last July. Um, I, I went to their, that was the first time I was there with them, was their, their celebration, their anniversary service. So um, it was a neat opportunity to be with them. Uh, I learned about a few things about being back in a traditional church, the good and the bad. Um, <laughs> I think it, it's going to help me a lot as I roll into the internship that I'm going to be having with the living room this coming academic year. Um, I'm really excited to be back. Uh, this church is really my heart home. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I always cry when I sit in this chair. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm just glad to be back um, with you all and serving alongside of you, and I'm so excited about who this church is right now and who we will become. Um, we're, we're really a beautiful community that offers something to Columbus that other churches probably can't, and I want to keep us encouraging us in that vein um, this year as I I'm serving alongside of you. And <laughs> Quinn made up a title for me. <laughs> it was, I think it's mission leader. <laughs> so um, I guess that's what my role will be uh, as we move forward. So once we define what our mission is, <laughs> so once we define what our mission is, then I'm going to be leading it, supposedly. Um, and I think my role really is about encouragement and holding people accountable, and really allowing us to move forward to be the people that God has called us to be in this community together. So I'm super psyched about that, um, especially since this is an all-volunteer community, and we're all here just serving in the way that we've been blessed to serve, and maybe it's a chance for us to find our new skills that we've never practiced before. Because to be perfectly honest, I never preached or taught in front of a group of people until I came to the living room four years ago. And it was, <laughs> it was a, a beautiful opportunity to be able to, to exercise a gift that um, it wasn't possible where I've been before. So that's really cool. A large group of people, Quinn. It was usually like 10 <laughs> in my other environments. So thank you.
I was, apparently, because there's a demarcation between the two sometimes. Face, smiley face. Internship, smiley face. Okay. So one of the things that I, I think I dove into more deeply while I was at Hope Moravian was using the Revised Common Lectionary. And some of you who come from more mainline or liturgical churches, you know about the RCL. Essentially, it's this extensive collection of scriptures. Um, It's in a three-year cycle, year A, B, and C. And for every week, there is an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a gospel reading, and usually an epistle um, for the last reading. And so it, it follows that church year calendar. And sometimes when, when Doug was teaching, he referred to that a lot. And so it's just different celebrations and movements of the year where we commemorate time and commemorate uh, Jesus. And so I'm talking about things like Lent. So that season before Easter. So we remember Jesus' sacrifice through our own small sacrifices. Um, the season of uh, Advent, before leading up to Christmas. We celebrate that and get prepared and ready and anxious for Jesus' coming. And there's also other things called ordinary time. We're about to hit ordinary time pretty soon here. Um, and essentially, it's just continuing us moving through the days of what it means to be a follower of Christ in the middle without having a big season or celebration to look forward to. And most of our time is ordinary time. Would you agree? And that's the time where we're like, we don't have anything motivating us. And so these scriptures help to motivate us through that time. Um, One of the big celebrations that just happened last week is Pentecost. And the season of Pentecost is really just a couple of weeks. It's last last week and this week and the next. Where um, in a liturgical church where you have things laid out on the altar where they have like these little cloths and stuff. They change color for the seasons of the year. And for Pentecost, they get to be red, which is exciting because it's representing these tongues of fire that came down from heaven when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. So I'm going to head down to that. So the, today is the first Sunday after Pentecost, if you look at it in the lectionary. And so Pentecost just stands for 50 days, essentially, after the resurrection of Jesus. And so this is when the, the church was gathered in Jerusalem, the great numbers of them anyway, were gathered together, and they were praying, and they were really very afraid. They didn't know what was happening next. But then the Holy Spirit came, which was promised to them by Jesus, and they were kind of just hanging out, waiting for that to happen. Um, and it was a pretty powerful and, and really um, visual experience, I think. And, and so the way that the, the gospel writers refer to the Holy Spirit coming was like there was tongues of fire over each of the believers' heads. And they were able to speak in different languages. And that allowed, us to be, allowed them to be able to minister to other people that were in Jerusalem and to go out to the, de- the ends of the earth to be able to preach the gospel. Uh, which is a really amazing thing. And so this is where Pentecostal churches kind of get their their thought and practice from. Um, and this day is also important because it's, rem- it's remembered as the birthday of what we know as the church. Um, this was the beginning. It wasn't when Jesus was resurrected. It was when the followers of Jesus were gathered together, receiving the Holy Spirit together, and then commissioned, in a sense, to be sent out um, as one body speaking many different languages, going and worshiping together. I think that's 
pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, they they usually went by the term the way, um, and and really even for a long time after this, they were seen as a sect of Judaism, still until some larger separations happened, like three four hundred years after the resurrection. So I mean, we could talk about church history sometime later when I teach, um, but that's kind of what happened for them. All right. So last week, Quinn talked about baptism. And sometimes when people um, receive Christ, they also talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens too. And so that's how baptism and Pentecost sort of fit together. It's just that idea of when you become a follower of Christ and you place your faith in him, um, that the Holy Spirit comes and you receive a baptism in that way that's separate from a water baptism. And so we talked a little bit last week, which was interesting to me, about the relationship or the picture of marriage and the picture of baptism. And I thought about that this week. I was like, okay, so both of these things are a serious commitment. But when we're committing to someone in marriage, we commit to the idea of that person and I think a commitment to the institution in itself. But really when it comes down to it, we don't really know who we marry. Because in a lot of ways, we don't even know ourselves. And as we grow over time, we grow to learn more about each other, and we learn more about ourselves through that relationship. And so I don't want people to be scared away from baptism because we're putting it on this, like, super high shelf. Like, you've got to be solid and prepared and know and, like, be all on fire for Jesus. But I see see baptism as an entry point into that journey of discovering more about what it means to know Jesus. And by being baptized, you're, you're solemnizing that commitment. You're saying, you know what, I'm going forward with this. I'm actually going to be serious about knowing Jesus, knowing myself in him, and in that exploration, trusting that God's going to provide. So it's and kind of hold that thought in the back of your mind because we're going to re, re-encounter that later as we go through this. Okay, so the text, one of the texts for today, um, actually the focus for the first Sunday after Pentecost is the Trinity, which is really interesting because a lot of this doesn't come in any kind of chronological order after Pentecost. It's just going back and looking at texts in the Bible that may reference what we think of as the Trinity. Um, And one of them is the passage about the Great Commission. And so let's, let's read that together right now. So this is Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So those of us who have been believers or been around the church for a long time have probably heard this passage hundreds of times. 
I mean, this is a text that is very, very familiar, especially for those of us who've been in evangelical circles where it's a call and a charge for us to go out and to preach the gospel and to share that with people and have them become believers in Christ. Like this for us is the core of the reason why we do what we do. But I think as we rush to verses 18 through 20, we miss what's going on in 16 and 17. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, let's give you the context here. What has happened is, at some point in time, we don't know what the time is, Jesus has just died and been resurrected. He's shown himself to a small group of people, but this is the first time that he's appeared to all the disciples together in Matthew's text. Okay, so this was a big deal. We know what has happened to them (laughs) following his death on the cross. I think that the disciples have scattered. They've really been scared and unsure about what's going on. This guy that they've been following for three years has died, even though he told them that he was going to die. It's happened in a way that I think really shocked them. And all of a sudden, the grave is empty. And they're hearing all these rumors that have been spread about people stealing his body, him not really being resurrected. So there's some significant questions that are happening here. So to me, the first miracle is that there's all 11 of them that are left because Judas was the 12th and he's committed suicide. All 11 of them actually got together and went to this mountain where Jesus told them to go. They were holding on to the last shreds of faith here by being obedient. And they saw Jesus. He was there. So that promise was fulfilled. But even after that, there was worship and there was doubt. I mean, that's pretty miraculous to me. That these guys who walked with Jesus showed up, had a moment of worship, a time of worship, however long it was, but yet still embraced that human doubt. I mean, how much more then should we allow for ourselves who haven't seen Jesus, who haven't experienced his bodily, physical presence, should allow ourselves to be okay with the fact that we doubt. Never once in all the times have I read this scripture have I seen that. But how much does that say about our humanity and that Jesus understands our humanity? So we need to remember that these disciples had obedience despite uncertainty. So they're walking through and fulfilling that commitment they've made to Jesus and their following of him as disciples. And that there is a possibility for us to worship in the face of doubt. I think the, the times of worship that I've had that have been the most pure and the most bare and where I've felt the presence of the Holy Spirit the most have been those times where I was like clueless about what was coming next 
or how I was going to respond. Um, so there's a level of vulnerability in our doubt that when we offer it up to Christ in our worship, that he meets us where we need to be met at. And he even did that for the disciples. And it's, it's really neat to go back and read through the, the Gospels and, and to read the doubt that's in them, where the disciples are having conversations with Jesus, and they keep, they're like, well, but why? Or how? Or what's going to happen? How are we going to feed all these people? Like, how is, there, how is it possible that I'm going to get fish right now? I've been fishing all night long, and my nets are empty. Like, what, what's the deal? Like, over and over and over again, they, they really press on Jesus to say, yeah, I'm coming through for you. And even at this point in time, they're asking for that, and he does come through for them. Okay. Um, there's this author that I really like that Herb and I talk about sometimes. Um, her name is Rachel Held Evans, and she likes to describe herself as a recovering evangelical. Um and I think part of that is because she came from a tradition that was very much focused on understanding all of the tenets of the faith and using that to defend yourself against other people. So when you're thinking about being in a position of defense, you're, there's, there, defense is like this. Like you're prepared, you're ready to fight, you know, but you're not listening, and I think one of the things that she's talking about when she's a recovering evangelical is the fact that she's putting herself in a position to listen and to understand and to, and to, to relate people's questions or inquiries or thoughts or um, comments through a lens of, okay, well, this is the circle in which I understand the scriptures and what Jesus has for us, but I'm going to hear what you have to say. And my, my gut reaction isn't going to be to, to, like, lash out at you. It might be to see where you're coming from a little bit more. Um, and so she wrote this memoir, Evolving in Monkey Town. <laughs> um, her dad was a, a professor, professor at Bryant College in Tennessee. It's the town where the Scopes Monkey Trial happened um, way back in the 1800s. Or it, it's kind of the fight about evolution and whether or not that was a legitimate course of study or teaching and um so Bryant is is a hotbed of people that are you know defenders of the faith in the sense of well we have to make sure that we understand literal creation we have to see how all of our framework fits into that kind of a perspective and so when she was in college there um, she began to, she was like a big apologetics fan. She was like on debate teams and all this kind of stuff and won awards, but then started to, to really broaden her perspective outside of where she was living and, and a asking some big questions that we all ask at some point or another about why suffering exists in the world or what happens with people that are in the darkest jungle that don't ever have an opportunity to hear about Christ, like what happens to them eternally? I mean, they're big, big questions that I think if we're honest with ourselves, no matter what your faith looks like, we struggle with. Um, and so when I read this book, I just thought it had a lot of good thoughts about what it means to be a doubter and what it means to walk through those questions without losing our faith. 
So one of the things she said is doubt is the mechanism by which faith evolves. It can it helps us cast off false fundamentals so we can recover what has been lost or embrace what is new. It is a refining fire, a hot flame that keeps our faith alive and moving and bubbling about where certainty would only freeze it on the spot. And I just thought that was amazing because I think a lot of times we're told that doubts and questions and pressing into questions can be dangerous. And I want to tell you that they're not. And the way that Jesus responded to the disciples wasn't that their questions or their doubts were dangerous. It was actually that their questions and their doubts were allowed for, and he welcomed them to come to worship him and to receive a commission, even in the middle of their doubt. I mean, that's a beautiful picture of what it means for us to be given roots and wings. And I I know that most of you have probably heard that phrase. And in families that train their children in such a way that they're able to give them the opportunity to go and to be who they are, but having that centering training and thought to go out, to give them freedom. And I think that Jesus does that for us too. He's like, here, I'm giving you the word. I'm giving you an open conversation with me through my death and resurrection. Keep embracing this conversation as you embrace these hard questions or these things that we don't understand because our minds are so finite. We don't have the mind of God. We don't get everything that's going on. But those questions are open, they're viable, they're available to us, and God is not scared of our questions. So don't be scared of asking them. Um, I just think that's, that's a beautiful reassurance for us, especially when there's some parts of the Christian church that really press us to be certain about every little bit of our faith, or else it's broken, or we're broken. So I talked a little bit before about marriage and baptism, and I want to reiterate again that even when we have doubts or we have questions or things that aren't answered, you know, marriages can happen in those environments and can be very successful. Baptism can happen in that way too. Um, As long as we're embracing that journey and a commitment to the marriage or commitment to that baptism through our faith, And we can have questions and it not be something where it has to be a division, where we have to say, no, I'm no longer a follower of Christ. Well, you can still be a follower of Christ and ask questions. So do it. It's healthy. It's actually going to encourage you and grow your faith. Um, And I love that Jesus doesn't keep us on the sidelines until we're ready to be called by him. He doesn't have this measuring stick for us. In our faith, be like, okay, you've met all these boxes that you've checked. You've reached this level. And so now, yep, you're ready to be baptized. You're ready to be a follower. No, we're all broken. We're all sinful. And Jesus covers each one of us. And I think if we have the humility to be able to come to him and say, I don't understand why this is true, but I believe in you and I want to follow you and I want you to teach me. That's the place God wants us to be as we become followers and are baptized in his name. Okay. Um, I think one of the most important things we have to remember about our doubt is that 
the safety comes when we do it in community with one another. Doubt becomes dangerous when we kind of are stuck in our own little place and we're not referencing other people and the word of God through our doubt. Um, because we can, we can go down some interesting roads when that happens. But when we do doubt with one another, like when we gather with a group of five or ten people that we trust and that we talk really honestly with each other about our things that we're struggling with, I mean, that's the place where growth happens. Um, That's the safe place. And I think small groups is a really important opportunity for us to do that. And that's why I want us to get those going again, (laughs) is to have those places where we can encounter our faith and encounter our doubts in safety and trust with one another. So one of the other quotes that I found in Rachel Held Evans' book is, Most of the people I've encountered are looking not for a religion that answers all of their questions, but for a community of faith in which they can feel safe asking them. And honestly, I think that TLR is that community. Um, I think this is a place where people can come no matter where they are in their faith and be able to ask the questions without having a mask on. And a lot of other churches, that's not allowed because you're supposed to have a certain amount of knowledge or a certain amount of biblical understanding. Um, And it's a pretty embarrassing thing if you've been in the church for a long time and you don't understand what somebody else might consider a really elementary principle and you ask a question about it. I think you'd feel shameful. You'd feel guilty in those environments. And I think here is a place where we can come and just be like, hey, I totally don't get this. What do you think about that? And somebody else is going to be here, by God's grace, (laughs) to answer those questions. Because I think we have a really neat mix of people, those of whom have a lot of biblical knowledge or a lot of life knowledge or a lot of faith or a lot of um, perseverance. I mean, all of the different kinds of spiritual gifts and all of those different fruits of the Spirit are present in this place. And so this is a community where you can come and ask your questions. We just need to get in environments with each other where we can do that. Um, and like I said, looking back at our scripture, um, Jesus created a safe environment for, peop- for the disciples to be doubters. He didn't cast them off. He didn't say, okay, so you're doubting and you're doubting and you're doubting. You go over here for now, and I'm going to talk to everyone else and give them this commission as to how they're supposed to live their lives as Jesus followers when I'm gone. No, he didn't do that. He gave this commission to every single one of them. So he embraced that. He brought them together. He talked to them all together. Okay. So I don't know if any of you have heard about this, this sandwich concept in conversation especially when you're um, a supervisor over people and you're trying to give some corrective feedback or, or constructive criticism, the thought is, in some circles, that you should sandwich that criticism around some praise on each end. And so um, Jesus uses a sandwich here. It's not criti- a criticism sandwich. It's a commissioning sandwich. And the bread on each side of the meat of the commission is reassurance. And so he's got these these disciples that have followed him and are still doubting, and so he knows that they need to be encouraged first before they can be sent to do these 
things that are beyond their own capacity. Um, so his first encouragement is that um, God has authorized him to speak. And so he's been given authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's declaring that he is in charge. He has got the authority to send them out. And so that's an encouragement to them because they're in a world where all of a sudden their rabbi is gone. So they've got a vacuum of authority that's happening for them. But now Jesus is reaffirming his authority. And then he gives them the job. So the job being to go out. And I made out in capital letters because it's not about waiting for people to come to us to share the gospel. We go from where we feel comfortable, out. And that could be in a lot of different ways. But it, we have to be in the mindset of going from where we feel comfortable to somewhere else, to other people that haven't heard or haven't trusted in Christ. Um, we're supposed to find those new followers and teach them enough so they understand what a commitment to Jesus is about. That's all that's kind of required before we do the third part, which is the baptizing. So we're baptizing people once they are, have learned enough to make a commitment to Christ, and then we teach them more. And so that teaching them more part includes all of us who are followers of Jesus already, that have already been baptized. We are to continue to teach one another about the scriptures. So we've got an outside-the-walls concept and an inside-the-walls concept in the Great Commission. So we have to remember those things work together. And so sometimes, you know, I love this church, but I think sometimes we miss the continuing to teach them more piece. So people are coming to Jesus and they're starting to follow, but then we kind of drop the ball on continuing to grow them into more mature followers of Jesus. And that's the part that Jesus is talking about at the end. And then that last part of the sandwich, the last piece of bread, the assurance is that he reminds them that he's with them. And so if we look at that scripture again in the message, um, that last part is, I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. And so it's like, I'm constantly there with you. Don't worry about it. I am with you. <laughs> and so when, when we feel like we're looking at this commission in the middle of our doubt, like, you know what, God, there's no way that this is happening. I am not smart enough. I don't know enough about the Bible in order to tell somebody about what Jesus has done in my life. Well, that's a lie. You've got Christ coming with you each and every day, every minute of the day, night, day, work, rest, out in your garden, playing with your kids. You know, all of those times Jesus is with us and he can allow us to do those parts of the Great Commission either going out, teaching people enough so they know Jesus on a fundamental level, baptizing people, and then teaching them more. I mean, we, we can have lots of people come along with us as we do things in our day-to-day -day life that can help teach them about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's just seeking the opportunity to do that. Okay. So where does this leave us? What does that mean for us as followers of Christ today? And I've said this over and over while I've been talking, is that we can worship in and through our doubt. I mean, it's not an exclusionary thing for us. Like, we don't have to feel like 
I'm not really feeling into Jesus today, and so I shouldn't go to church. No, that's absolutely wrong. If you're not feeling into Jesus today, you should go to church. That's absolutely the place you should be, and you should be honest about the fact that you feel like that today. Um, and give, give somebody else the opportunity to encourage you, to pray over you, to listen to what is going on with you in your life, um, and to continue to be that encouraging place that allows us to be a community that can question in safety with one another. Um, like I said, and, and again, I really feel like TLR is a place for what the NIV calls the nations to come and encounter their questions. We, we have a unique opportunity in this community to be those people. And so let's keep being those people um, for Columbus and Bartholomew County and the world, for whoever comes and walks through our doors, uh, to be able to ask questions with one another, to not assume that we know all the answers, but to really be humble in our the way that we encounter our faith. Um, and... Recognizing that today is Father's Day, I think what this teaches us about God our Father is that he loves us so much that he sends Christ as his, his son, as a representative of him on this earth. And the way that Jesus embraced us in our doubt and our shame and our confusion is the same way that he embraces us in our doubt and shame and confusion. And he even said, you know what? I know you guys are, don't have it all like straight and know what you're doing, but I'm still going to honor you and send you out to be my representatives. And so no matter how screwed up you feel today, you're still Jesus's representative and he trusts you with that. And so even when you mess up or you sin or you do something that you wish you hadn't done, Jesus still accepts you and loves you and sees you as a representative of him. So, you can keep coming. You can keep going. You can still be his child no matter what or who you are. So let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us so much that you love us in our ugliness, in our distractedness, in our doubt in our inability to serve you well. God, you trust us. We are made in your image, and you love us so much that you want a relationship with us. And that relationship includes being ambassadors for your kingdom in this world. God, thank you for that honor. Thank you for that trust. God, I pray that that honor and trust would allow us to grow and to be strong and courageous, to speak truth in your name, to be able to share with love your gospel, to embrace all the people of the world that you have embraced. God, focus our eyes on the world outside of our safety, on so many people that are separated from you, that need your love. Give us hearts of compassion. God, words to speak, hands to serve and love. God, allow us to meet needs. 
Lord, but to be able to, to stand by and watch you mend hearts. God, thank you for embracing us, even in our doubt. And let us not let the enemy think, allow us to think that we're not good enough because of our doubt. Lord Jesus, send us out this week, standing firm on your promises, knowing who we are in you, walking forward as you guide us. I pray for these things in your name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, guys. We have plenty of time to hang out together today, and happy Father's Day, and thank you so much to all the dads in our community for the way that they love their kids, and Um, are raising them to be awesome followers of Jesus. So have a great week, everybody. Thanks.